0: Welcome to A Savored Life podcast, one that inspires you to live a more fulfilled life with mindful writing, intuitive cooking, and creative inspiration. I'm Somaya Osmani, your host, and each episode of A Savored Life is filled with creative expression, freeing our preconceived ideas that hold us back from fulfilling our true potential as writers and creatives. The next few episodes are focused on food writing, the art behind it, and a career that one can forge through writing about food. In this episode, we're going to be talking about that soulful food writing art. I'm very much honored to be joined by guest Felicity Cloak, someone who is not only an evocative writer, but someone who has developed a successful food writing career. Felicity is the award-winning author of The Guardian's long-running How to Make the Perfect column, as well as six books, the second most recent of which, One More Croissant for the Road, was shortlisted for the Fortnum & Mason Food Book of the Year Award. Her latest book, Red Sauce, Brown Sauce, A British Breakfast Odyssey, is out now, published by Mudlark, and one that I am really desperate to get my hands on. Felicity, welcome to A Savoured Life.
1: Hi, it's very nice to
0: be here, I'm honoured. Oh, thank you. Well, Felicity, I'm going to dive straight in and talk a little bit about your journey into food writing. Do tell us where you began and how you began.
1: Um, I always say that it started with simple greed, which isn't very glamorous, but I just always (laughs) loved food. I even as a child, I was quite greedy and quite sort of I always wanted to be the one making the cakes and not that my mum really condoned lots of cake making because I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it was very much like a flora, low fat regime. Um, and there weren't that many cakes outside sort of Christmas and birthdays. But I just I think maybe because it was forbidden, I always wanted to be sort of making cakes and things like that. Um, and then when I went to university, I. Um, I made some friends from London and obviously extremely sophisticated. And (laughs) um, one of them had a dad that would come up and bring, it was the first time I'd had what I would now describe as a proper lasagna. So obviously Mm -hmm. we ate lasagna growing up because who didn't in the eighties and nineties. But, when I saw this lasagna, I realised that the lasagna that my mum made, although delicious, was um, probably a bit less authentic than I'd been <laughs> led to believe. And this, um, my friend Alice's dad used to bring these great slabs of lasagna that would stand up on their own from his you know their local uh, italian deli in north london mm-hmm. and that blew my mind and actually she wouldn't tell us when he was coming otherwise we'd just send like locusts and want to eat the whole lasagna <laughs> but she also introduced me to jamie oliver um she had a jamie oliver cookbook and she would make um sorry that's my dog that's absolutely um, fine <laughs> probably means the postman's arrived um shush um <laughs> So a, a perils of an authentic recording um, yeah absolutely so, yeah she would um she introduced me to jamie oliver and she would cook with things like aubergines now it's not you know i didn't grow up in you know the uh middle of nowhere i do i was acquainted <laughs> with aubergines but i'd never really cooked them i think maybe we used to have them sometimes and i didn't really mm-hmm. like masaka as was presented to me as a child um and seeing her make things with aubergines blew my mind Um, And I think university was a real time of just realising that you could cook for yourself. And I'm not saying that we were cooking Jamie Oliver recipes all the time. I ate a lot of um, instant noodles as well and a lot of cereal. But just that possibility, it was so exciting to me. So I was already very interested in food and cooking and eating. And my parents somehow came by a Nigel Slater book around the same time, which really ignited my interest in food writing as well, just because I'd never really come across a book that talked about food in that way you know it was a recipe book yeah. but it, it had sort of introductions like little essays in praise of like the joys of a um a sausage sandwich or chips or it so it was all very accessible food but it was talked about in this terms of almost sort of high art it was very literary and I found that very exciting because I was studying English literature and yeah it just really appealed to me and so when I left university um I wanted to write, but I ended up going into art publishing and mm-hmm. realised very quickly that there was no writing for me involved in publishing. Um, and so then I was sort of uh, left my first job, much to my parents' horror, and thought, <laughs> what am I going to do next? Which you can do when you're sort of 21 and you're prepared to temp around London and, you know, make some money and yeah. then go and do work experience. And I thought, I'm going to try my hand at, you know, magazines seemed quite a good way into writing. And I was interested in a few things. Um you know travel and uh, literary magazines and things and food was the other thing that occurred to me and it turned out to be a really lucky time because it was when food magazines are really taking off in this country in sort yeah. of the um, mid '90s, and there are a lot of them around and I ended up I did some work experience at Waitrose Food Illustrated magazine as was which used to describe itself as the vogue of food magazines and it was so exciting to me because I'd seen it growing up and I was like oh my god I'm here and then for some reason um they were very kind to me there and I don't know I wrote some little bits for them on like interviewing a garlic farmer in the Isle of Wight and things I was so thrilled to see my name in the magazine (laughs) a few weeks a few months later I think they got in touch with me and they said um would you like to um go on a press trip for us and I didn't know what a press trip was number one I still have no idea why they asked me because it was a press trip to Chicago it was mm. like the best break ever and obviously their, their reasoning was they weren't going to have to pay me whereas they'd have to pay a freelancer yeah um, so they sent me age sort of 22 having never had a byline that I'd been paid for off to Chicago with a load of very experienced food journalists, um, you know, to do a little tour organised by the tourist board and eat in restaurants and so on, stay in still the fanciest hotel I've ever stayed in in my life. Um, I basically <laughs> thought this was going to be what my life was going to be like from now, on, <laughs> which, which didn't turn out to be the case. But um, on that trip, I met an editor from another smaller food magazine um, and as the youngest and clearly the most inexperienced, inexperienced, uh, member of the trip, I ended up sort of doing things like carrying her bags. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd been to boarding school. I was not, um, above being subservient. So it was fine. Um, and it worked out okay actually, because, because I'd worked in publishing when she had, um, a vacancy coming up for a sub editor, which is the person in magazines who, um, lays out all the copy corrects the grammar sometimes rewrites things if it's from people like chefs who aren't really writers that kind of thing that very nitpicking sort of job which I very much enjoyed I can be a terrible pedant um she asked (laughs) if I wanted to apply and again because I was young and inexperienced they knew they could get away with paying me very little but that worked out okay for me um and I stayed there for a few years ended up as features editor because it was a very small team. Um, And so I was finally writing about food um, and even writing the odd recipe. And I just think it was such a lucky combination of circumstances that I was interested in food and it was the right time. And there was enough sort of temp work around that I could support myself while getting into it. Um, So, yeah, and I still have absolutely no regrets. Uh, God, how many years later, nearly 20, you know, 15 years later, yeah. It's just You know, I, I absolutely love food, um, but I've still never been on a press trip that good.
0: <laughs> Sounds amazing. And Chicago, anyway, it's one of the nicest cities. For I food know. And I know. It's lovely. I get, I'm lucky enough to go to Chicago quite often. So oh, I do love it. Yeah, I and, am jealous. Uh, <laughs> you can come along anytime. Um, <laughs> uh, but I have to say that that's such an inspiring journey, because I think a lot of things that you said, Felicity, and I think you're lucky enough to have had is the sense of, you know, obviously the passion for food and loving it, but the sense of knowing um, the direction you kind of wanted to take and, and taking every opportunity that came your way at the time. And one opportunity led to another. And I think that's a very key thing for anyone wanting to get into food writing, because I think that it's such a daunting, such an exclusive sounding career to have, but actually it's about dipping your toes into everything. And, you know, one of those things that I'd love to ask you, and I think a lot of people would love to know is how does one, if not like you right after university gets into it, how does one get into food writing if they want to at any point in their lives?
1: Um, I think you're right, it does sound very daunting. I actually think in some ways it's improved since the time that I was getting into it because although there are fewer print publications, um, it's exploded Mm -hmm. online um, and that, you know, there are far more outlets for work. And actually, at the moment, people are starting to pay again. There was a period of time where you would be asked to do things for free constantly. And now because of subscription models suddenly people can afford to pay for quality writing. And I find that very heartening because it's often with subjects that would be considered, and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, which obviously no one <laughs> but to <laughs> each, Like yeah. there's very little one thing that's been said was with the decline of print media and the decline of advertising budgets which was funding it, food writing in print has become to a large degree much more mainstream. There are fewer sort of small um, or very specialist publications because they just can't afford to print. Yeah. Um, and the audience is largely online now, but that has in turn, there's still a market for that. And you're not going to, unfortunately, people, I hear people sort of saying, oh, well, The Guardian won't publish this because it's just too niche and they're too sort of, I don't know, Western centric and things. And I, I get that argument but mm-hmm. The Guardian is obviously writing, read, you know, writing for a very mainstream audience it doesn't tend to be again air quote foodie and yeah. so I can see why they do play it safe even though a lot of people including myself at times find it frustrating because I'm interested in reading about it but I'm very into food and I'm so pleased that there are other places that will now pay people to write about things so I can read about them um, yeah. that aren't the print media so my advice um about getting into food writing is to consider what you're what you particularly have to offer and it will be something so it might be that um, even if and uh, say even if this is not what you want to base your career solely around um, it might be for example say that you happen to be from the outer hebrides and you have a you know you grew up with these um traditions of sort of um local shellfish and baking and things like that that you know you might not necessarily want to write about for that whole life you might want to go and you know write about foods from all around the you know the world but getting in there with that particular expertise Mm -hmm. that fewer people will have will mean that editors can say oh that's an interesting subject and you are the person to write about it as opposed to oh yeah, you know, the cuisine of Namibia is a very interesting subject, but why would I get you to write about it, even though, you know, you've got a commission to go and talk to some people and talk to locals and etc. As opposed to someone that I already know. So I think it's recognising that editors have um, a very finite amount of money and time, and they're always going to be maybe not lazy, but they're going to take the easy option just because they're all these days sort of overworked and stressed. They're going to use someone that they already know. And it's sort of, it can feel very much like cronyism. Yeah. And you know, to some extent it is, but it's also I don't have time to take a risk on a new person. Whereas if you're the person that is literally the best person to write that particular piece, then they'll go, yes, okay, I'm going to give you a chance on this. So I think it's just thinking about yourself <clears throat> your USP what is it that you bring that is different to what say Nigel Slater brings or you know all the names that you see in food media the whole time so I think that's the most important thing to work out and it doesn't have to be that you're from somewhere unusual or um, you have you know a PhD in you know fermentation it's just thinking about what particularly even if it's growing up you know um, I often talk about the online newsletter vittles they Mm -hmm. write about all sorts of things I had a great thing about the food of north london shopping centers in the 90s (laughs) like brilliant and you would sorry you would never get that published in a print publication i wouldn't think unless it's sort of very glossy sort of 20 pounds very arty thing but they are commissioning things like that and they are paying for it so just think what is the thing that i know most about in the world and just go from there Exactly. You know, that's
0: excellent advice. And I think, you know, a lot of people when I started off said that, you know, you should stick to your niche initially because that gives you that upper edge, that voice, that authentic story Mm. that you can be the go-to person for it. And then from there, you can branch out to other things Mm. once you've made your mark and people know that you're writing, they like your writing, they commission your writing. And it really is a very slow journey, but one that, you know, you do start off and I think it comes down to that very simple thing, write about what you know. Um, and Mm. and start from there and I think that's excellent advice uh, for someone who is looking to get into food writing.
1: Yeah and I can get that it it must be as someone without a particularly definable niche in that I come from the home counties which is not a region with a rich culinary tradition that um, anyone wants a cookbook from (laughs) um, you know I can also understand how frustrating it must be for someone to be told you know like you are you know know, Pakistani food that's your expertise and you might think well I want to write about Italian food I want exactly you know and I can get that must be very frustrating it is um from my point of view it's very frustrating the home counties has nothing to write about (laughs) um I just think it's definitely not something the idea of having to stay in that lane is totally wrong but I just think when you're getting going it's useful to I don't know compromise your principles sounds a bit wrong but I certainly you know took writing commissions where I could at that point and if I'd had a niche I would have certainly exploited it um yeah. and it just meant you know writing for um trade magazines and <clears throat> you know outlets that I wouldn't necessarily write you know read myself but if they're yeah. offering a commission it's all good experience so I do think that exactly being too idealistic unless you can afford to if you're independently wealthy do whatever you want exactly. but, um, <laughs> you know, for most of us that have to earn a living I think it is worth being a little bit strategic about it to begin with
0: yeah, I think that's it, being strategic about it and, and writing things that, you know, you think will give you experience in different ways mm. and that might actually push your career further. And then, you know, you might come to a point where you can actually write what the yep. hell you want. Um, and I think that's it. That's the that's the right right way to look at it. Um, and now let's talk a little bit about writing books. Now, what I love about your books, Felicity, is obviously the fact that you don't just write recipes, you write a story, a journey, a personal, authentic discovery but has the theme of food and of course you know me and you know how much i love that because that's how i like to write Uh, so so tell me about that whole storytelling with food because i love that and i'd love to know about what you know sort of inspires you to write like that and how does one begin that journey of writing
1: a little bit more narrative with food um i think that i write like that because that's how i want to read about food i think it's really Mm -hmm. difficult to understand a recipe without understanding its context so you know if you're thinking for example you're doing a recipe for um let's say an irish stew and so you're thinking about that and you see a recipe that might say to put it in the oven for this time now you've got to think even though that might be what you end up doing, because I actually think that ovens are very great for slow cooking because you can modulate the temperature much more successfully than on the stovetop. Originally, people wouldn't have had ovens. That wasn't mm-hmm. a thing. And so that is not how it would have be made. So you've got to look back at the old recipes and think this was how it was done. And why was it done? You know, why were these ingredients used? Why, you know, what is the story behind that? And I think you can certainly make changes, modernise it, etc. But I think it's difficult to do that it's difficult to really understand the dish before knowing where it's come from and what the story behind it is and mm-hmm. so I just find it I find it fascinating and I hate reading um recipes with no introduction at all I want to know a bit yeah. about it it makes me want to eat the dish to make the dish to it just sort of whets my appetite and so I, I don't want to see any recipe with you know nothing because, you know, that's great. If it's the culture that you come from, then that's totally fine. You don't need that. But certainly if it's something that you're less familiar with, even if it's from, you know, your own country, then you want to know a bit more about it. Um, so that's the thing that interests me. And I always want to... Um, I The bit that I enjoy most is the research and the learning about the dishes and the people that make it and things like that. It really brings food alive for me. Um, and so I'm delighted that I've had the opportunity to do that because that's the bit... I find recipe writing an interesting intellectual challenge because you are trying to think (laughs) what works best. You know, it's sort of like, why is it done like that? But also because of the audience that I'm writing for, it has to be something that's practical for your average home cook in the UK. Um, But that's not not necessarily always the most interesting version of the dish. So it's sort of thinking, how do I make this accessible to some degree without dumbing it down or dishonouring the dish? um but um sorry a cat has appeared outside i'm just going to shut the door because um, <laughs> we don't need to hear that um <laughs> now i live in the zoo um so yeah i find it an intellectual challenge to to write the best version of a recipe for my particular audience but the bit that i really enjoy is finding out about it and then and then sharing that with the reader as well um yeah. because i think that as i said i came to this through wanting to write writing is my first Passion, mm-hmm. um and I just happen to be an incredibly greedy person for both knowledge and food, and so that's how it's worked out. But <laughs> I just love the research. I'm just very nosy, basically. Nosy yeah. is not the word for greedy. So I'm <laughs> very I want all the knowledge and all the food. No, but I think that's it. That's That's exactly it. And I I, I totally
0: resonate with that because that's one of the reasons why I call this uh, episode the soulful, you know, that soulful writing because you're telling every recipe has a soul. And unless you actually write about the soul of the recipe, the recipe is not complete. And Mm. I think that's what you do. And I think that's something I personally love. I like what's the point of just putting down the ingredients and the method because you haven't actually explained what it should really taste like and why it should taste like that and how it means and what it means to people who cook it, and I think those stories, um, telling those stories
1: with food, is what
0: makes gives it that layered effect and that layered experience.
1: Mm, definitely, it just you know it's it's sort of the whole. It should be the serving suggestion is knowing about <laughs> knowing yeah. about the dish because you know you're going to taste more in it. I truly believe that. Yeah, I think so. Um,
0: I'm going to just uh, just finally ask you a question now. I think this is something really that everyone really would love to hear, and that is how do you find inspiration is it what is it how do you search for it does it just come to you or are there experiences in your life that lure you towards writing about certain things um
1: I think as I said I'm nosy so I'm the kind of person that (laughs) will just I I love going around and it doesn't even have to be a foreign supermarket but I am one of those people that always wants to go to a supermarket if you're abroad and go to a market and go to a grocer's shop etc but I can honestly I go. So I live in um, North London. Obviously, I write for the Guardian. I was going to, and there's this monster for Central London Sainsbury's in <laughs> the Angel, yeah. and it is not the best. You know, it's built in the eighties. It's very dark. Um, it's often run out. Of so it's quite a stressful place. I, you know, I know it very well. I know where absolutely everything is, and I can still get a great deal of joy. From wandering the aisles, just mm-hmm. seeing the different things that they've got in and how they've rearranged. I don't think they've quit, they've rechristened the world cuisine food aisles yet, but <laughs> um, they've definitely had a bit of a rearrangement. And that's telling me things about what they think that the local market is like, as in, you know, who is buying what. And I just find that absolutely fascinating to look at things and go, oh, you know, you can get kosher pickles. I wonder why it was different, but, you know, kosher yeah. pickles or kosher. Um, Almonds. In fact, the kosher section is the best place to buy nuts that I found. They do really good value um, sorted almonds. They're excellent, mm, um, nice. and so I just love going around and looking at those things, or looking at like the vegan section and seeing the new things that are there. Um, so I, I get inspiration from that. I also find social media, although I know people have a complicated relationship with it, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that I would be more productive if I spent less time on it. But I do find it inspirational, particularly following different accounts from around the world. So lots of US accounts, Australian, um, Indian, just people, anyone that someone recommends to me, or if I try something, you know, say if I'm doing a recipe for Pad Thai and I'm looking for people that have got recipes for it. And so you follow sort of food bloggers in Bangkok and et cetera. And then I keep following them because I love seeing the different things they're doing. They're eating out where they're going on holiday and stuff so yeah it's basically professional nosiness but I just yeah. I think that it can just a walk around your local area if you mm-hmm. haven't had any shops in your local area I suppose um can spark inspiration for me and obviously travel as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes just reading books that have nothing to do with food, you're thinking, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's interesting. that they're de- I've just read the Casalit Chronicles by Elizabeth Jane Howard, which has mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with food. Great sort of family saga. would highly recommend. Um, yeah. But they talk quite a lot about food in that. And I found that fascinating in the terms of what a middle-class family was eating, in the war and after the war and I thought oh, I wonder if there's something in that again quite niche but yeah. I was wondering about that and also I remember the new um, The Handmaid's Tale yeah, um, sequel when I was reading it I was thinking there's so much about sandwiches in this yeah this is weird if I was thinking of a really niche PhD subject I would go for <laughs> the role yeah. of sandwiches in Margaret Atwood's writing yeah um, so yeah I just because I'm very curious and very nosy I can find inspiration almost anywhere but I would say just keep your eyes open
0: yeah and that's just think, it.
1: you know don't walk around always with your headphones in or whatever just yeah. you know keep you know Keep your eyes open.
0: Absolutely, and that's the same for any art. You just have to be so present uh, Mm. and and you have to make that presence quite intentional because I think when you start getting distracted by the things, you miss the little things and it's all in the details, isn't it? And even with with something like what you've said when you're writing or when you're reading something and it's nothing to do with food, there is always a story, something there. There's always something and it's just, it's amazing. It's just everything that links you and there's so much to explore within that as to why, Mm. how, what was it happening in those days? Why was this important? Um, And I think you're right. There's inspiration everywhere. It's just about you looking for it and being intentional about it.
1: Mm, Because actually, one of the things I love about food is the fact that it relates to absolutely everything. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can get I've got um, I'm in touch on Twitter with the editor of Chemistry World magazine Mm -hmm. because he was very helpful when I was writing about bagels and different alkalis and things like that. And he often they often do stuff about the science of baking and et cetera, et cetera. So the science, which was not my strong suit at school, you know, the history, the (laughs) the, the politics, et cetera, it links into absolutely everything. And that's what I love about it. And everyone can um, relate to it. It's something that everyone, you know, even if they've got a complicated relationship with food, they've got a relationship with food. And so I think it does, you know, and also talking to people. If you go into, you know, a grocer's shop and you don't know what something is, just ask the person by an encounter and you often get a really great story about it. And I end up with, you know, coming out with this bag of stuff that I never (laughs) seen before and I probably did a (laughs) real mess of it. But, you know, I love that, that you have a bit of a connection with someone otherwise you would have just sort of paid and left they yeah. are always really happy to talk about food, in my experience.
0: They are. And it's amazing because I sometimes walk into my local Middle Eastern shop and there's always somebody. lots of uh, refugees that have come into Glasgow from um, different parts of the Middle East. And they've they, it's amazing. Most of them can't speak English and they're buying different ingredients. And I just become so nosy and ask them, how do you cook this in broken English? And they sort of just explain things to me. Put this together with this. And I just learned something from mm. someone who doesn't even speak in English. You've mm. actually just learned from the ingredients. And I think that is fascinating fascinating
1: yeah I just I absolutely love that it's very much a cliche that food brings people together but yeah it it, it does cliche for a reason it's true exactly
0: well before I end I'm going to ask you one thing that maybe would help somebody out there how does one a writer basically stand above other writers what gives a writer a unique voice what is it that they can develop a skill that they can develop to create that unique
1: voice oh golly that is a question um I well and i'm just talking personally here mm-hmm. um but I th- if i think about the writers that i most admire it's people that aren't afraid to tell their own stories and yeah. to write in their own voice and that doesn't necessarily mean to be that you need to be sort of very slangy or whatever although feel free to do that i you know i love that mm-hmm. but i want to i want to feel like you're talking to me um without trying to um write in a very sort of media trained voice I want to feel like we're having a conversation and I think that a lot of the most successful food writers certainly operating today do do that and they you know it's not writing about food used to be very impersonal and I think Delia Smith is great and did a lot for cooking in this country and you know still does um but the time with with which she at which she was writing it was very impersonal. It was you know there weren't a lot of details about her life or how she cooked things or her opinions yeah. on things in her books. They were just sort of very reliable recipes. And we don't have to do that anymore. We've become le- much less embarrassed in this country about talking about things we like and dislike. Yeah. And I want to hear that. I think that the best thing you can do for your own writing is give your own perspective your own very personal perspective because that's what is setting you apart from the other million people that are food writers exactly um, so yeah just don't, don't be afraid to be personal is, is my top tip that is a de- really good tip thank you for that
0: now just before we end do tell me what now obviously your new book is out now which is very delicious sounding uh, but tell us about other things that you are working on that we should keep an eye out for <laughs>
1: Oh, well, well I things am... you can talk about. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm now thinking that if I'll get in trouble, um, I'm doing something to do with the 60s and seventy Ooh. chef Annie Craddock Nice. Which actually has been really unexpectedly interesting and told me I thought I knew about her and it turned out I knew absolutely nothing so I've just read two biographies of her mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if it's a secret so I'm not going to say anything but no. it will be out later this year cool. um, and I'm trying to think about um, a new book I'm doing lots of promotion for the current book um, but I'm trying to think what I want to do next which is always a terrifying time um (laughs) and then I'm working on lots of summer columns for the Guardian as well which um will be fun I don't not quite sure what's in my future for next week as suddenly I'm sort of hit by this new oh you've got to make six versions of this or that and do all the research and (laughs) et cetera so that's always a fun I haven't yet looked We're, we're talking on Monday morning and I haven't quite dared to look at my diary for the week um so yeah nothing nothing Huge at the moment, but it's you know that period you brought a book out and now you're having yeah. a little bit of a rest and everyone's like, what's next? You're like, oh <laughs> ask, please let me. Do it. Um, not that this is a strenuous job, but yes, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Lots of promotion probably. Brilliant. Well, good luck with it all,
0: Felicity, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Um, Guys, if you want to follow Felicity, the details are below the podcast. So do give her a follow. She has lots of delicious stuff on her Instagram and generally just everywhere. So keep an eye out for her. If seeing your cookbook being published is one of your dreams, then my online course, Crafted, launches end of September. This is a four-week program to help you create your dream-to-draft cookbook proposal. Now, if this is something that you would love to learn more about, join the waitlist, which is linked below as well. Finally, I'd love it if you rate and review this podcast on your podcast platform, if you enjoyed it, because this helps the podcast reach those who might benefit from it. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to A Savoured Life with me, Samaya. And until next time, choose a slower life, choose a savoured life.